Hello and welcome to the More Than Wellness podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, Mick Ryan, and I am a well-being facilitator. My job is to facilitate your physical, emotional, mental and spiritual well-being and to talk with guests who can help me further that aim. So with that goal in mind, our guest today is Alida Deli george And when I first met Alida, she was a pharmacist who had just sold her pharmacy and was studying to be a naturopath. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hang on, that's one extreme to the other. Well, after listening to this episode, you might not think it's so extreme. Alida sees the pharmacist as an evolution of the old apothecary who developed from the old traditions of herbalism. And as a naturopath, she focuses very strongly on herbal medicine. So it's like she's gone back to the ancient roots of pharmacy. Now, Alida is a fascinating interviewee and very passionate about what she does. And she really integrates the philosophies of East and West with great skill in her practice and in also how she talks about it. So as always, if you want to get in touch with myself or Alita, please stay tuned until the end of the show for our contact details. And I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Thanks again for listening. So Alita, how are you? I'm good, making you. I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the More Than Wellness podcast. My I pleasure. I appreciate it. Um, and so let's start off by uh, just getting you to kind of give us an introduction about who you are and what you do. Sure, sure. Well, I've been a, a pharmacist for 30 plus years. That's what most people have, have known me for, shall we say. But in the last, uh, say, five years, I've definitely uh, pulled a little bit away from the traditional way that I, I do medicine and become more holistic. Um, went back to school even as a mature age student, <laughs> shall we say, and uh, I've become qualified as a herbalist. So I incorporate both of those nowadays and I'm, I'm still quite active in pharmacy, but I'm working in my clinic Monday to Friday now. So it's a, very much a dual career, which is which is fantastic. I'm loving it. So when you say dual career, um, are you still working as a pharmacist yeah, now? Yeah, okay. absolutely, yeah. So people find that quite strange with someone who's kind of transitioned as I have, Um I still work in pharmacy uh, mainly because there's so many people that just don't know there's another way of treating. Uh, I used to have a motto when I was own my own pharmacy, which is you don't know what you don't know because you don't know. Yeah. And I see that every time I'm on, on the shifts in pharmacy. I'm only working Saturdays, but it's a long day. It's a 10-hour shift, so I get to see a lot of people on that day. But um, in terms of helping them, every time I come home, I'm thinking, oh, that's it. I'm done with pharmacy. Mm. I've had enough. And then you've you've helped like three or four people in a major way, and you think, Nope, still still quite the path for me, so I'm staying there for as long as I, I feel that there's no more need, and I don't sure. think that's going to happen in a hurry. Okay. So, yeah, it's been, been, been a wonderful transition because I've been able to train a lot of the staff on the floor in a much more open-minded way of seeing medicine, particularly the pharmacists that are coming out, which is great. So I'm getting them to feel a little bit more holistic rather than being so regimented and being textbook-oriented. Which is, uh, which is probably the most inspiring thing to stay in pharmacy, to at least yeah. teach those professionals to see medicine quite differently. Okay, yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah. So you said that you're a herbalist. Now, are yeah. you, is there a differentiation between a naturopath and a herbalist? Or do you Officially, do I'm still a naturopath, but okay. I've then gone and majored, shall we say. So I've done twice as much herbalism as a traditional naturopath does. So in that sense, I, I'm qualified as a herbalist, whereas a naturopaths, you know, do... Two semesters, shall we say, and I've done four semesters. So I just know herbs uh, a little bit more in depth. That's not to say most naturopaths wouldn't know herbs either. Uh, it's certainly my forte, and I wanted to focus on herbs, probably because of the scientific background of being a pharmacist, um, you know, very much wanting to know 
how the product works and its active function and the scientific basis of what it does. So it was a natural tendency to go to herbalism. We're, we're kind of the natural herbalist anyway as pharmacists. We always were. Yeah. Um, you know, we were the, the alchemists and we've always been compounding and creating just along the way, we've, we've lost a lot of that. And I was just drawn back to my roots. So it felt quite natural to incorporate pharmacy and, and herbalism specifically. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I know all aspects of naturopathy too, of course. Yeah. So is the pharmacist like the evolution of the apothecary? <laughs> yes, I believe so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of pharmacies, the oldest pharmacies still have apothecary on the front of the window. Yeah. And I just love those stores. They're the ones I want to go into. Sure. And I've still yeah. got some of my old bottles. If you could visually see us, we've got some of the old bottles that I had from my pharmacy in Carlton. Um, and they're at least 60 years old, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's wonderful to see that tradition. Uh, when I first became a pharmacist, we always compounded. We compounded everything, you know. Now, now there's actually compounding pharmacies that are coming up, specifically focusing on compounding. But all pharmacists know to compound. It's just a, a dying trade because they're not taught that anymore at school. They come out of pharmacy with no real compounding uh, knowledge. It's very much interaction based. It's all about interactions and. Um, you know, in terms of being more of a consultant pharmacist, which means that a lot of people would spend time in hospitals or even going to visit people in their home, doing what we call home medicine review. So it's all about interaction-based, you know, making sure things are, are okay. Um, but that's that's a long stretch from what we're all qualified to do. I mean, I, I can still whip up a cream literally in two minutes, quite visually almost. I know how much 10 grand looks like. I've done it so many times. Yeah. And then you watch these these young trainees come out and they're getting the scales out. Everything's so accurate and it just takes them ages. And they'll often tell, you know, <clears throat> the customers to pop back the next day. It's going to take them that long to make one cream. So uh, it, it's quite ironic to watch when we were doing creams literally all day long. So um we've just changed the way we practice pharmacy is what it comes down to so um i think that's part of the natural progression why i also changed because what i knew pharmacy to be when i first went into pharmacy has changed and it's continually changed i'm constantly seeing that change you know even just recently uh an article i saw on my email saying that pharmacists may be prescribing low dose antibiotics without a prescription you know um will be prescribing next year you know, we've got so oh, much really? change coming through pharmacy um, that I think obviously the AMA, the medical boards aren't too wrapped about. And I, I'd have to question, I'm a bit scratching my head whether that's a great thing or not great thing. I mean, we're always taught to be the um, the assister, shall we say, to doctors. They're, they're the ones that would diagnose yeah. and we would encourage the compliance by providing the medicine, providing it uh, so that the customer understood the right time, the right dose, the, the right way of taking it. So we were encouraging the compliance factor so that the doctor's diagnosis and ultimately the, the patient's healing could come through correctly. Uh, and I think since then, a lot of that's been lost. Um, we're no longer involved in that. We're probably taking perhaps a too proactive role and knocking the doctors out. And I don't think most pharmacists are really trained in that way yet. Maybe they'll have to adjust the courses to get them trained better, but I certainly don't feel that courage to, to say that pharmacists are quite there yet. No, definitely yeah. not. So do you feel then more... Uh experienced pharmacists would know how to do that based on their initial training which is quite different yeah, to what's happening and dare now. i say it's more the older pharmacists you know don't want to put age into this but i'd have to i'd have to say perhaps the more older pharmacists who have that experience of seeing that progression and understanding that because the newer pharmacists um some of them are quite terrified even to speak to customers you know it's just 
it's amazing that that we've gone a bit back to the old school where pharmacists would stay in the dispensary and they'd quickly hand a, a medicine to the staff member and then out it goes, mainly because of the speed of pharmacy. You know, medication is going out so fast. So a lot of them don't even have contact with clients anymore. And so that, that, that ability then to come back, to find that time to then come to the front of shop again and to chat with Mrs. Smith once more, they're going to have to change the way that they run their store. They're going to have to change the mechanics of the dispensary, uh, which, which is going to be interesting to see because, you know, pharmacy has been through a lot of tough times in terms of, you know, staying afloat with a lot of competition with these, you know, discount pharmacies coming through. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's worked in pharmacy knows that majority of stores have had to cut their staff just to keep afloat. So then when you're asking them to to rev up their staff, to be able to be this professional giving service, that I don't think they're, they're quite ready to give in the level that I think the consumer deserves because I certainly wouldn't want to be receiving an antibiotic or an immunisation or a, a script of any sort that might be an emergency script from a pharmacist who hasn't got the time to spend with me almost in a quiet environment that the doctor certainly can give. Even though that we can both be rushed, a doctor's environment cannot be compared to a pharmacy environment. You know, you'd have to understand there is some difference there, and that's why people go to a doctor, they sit down in the room, they'll chat, there's privacy, exactly. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how how it comes up. There is already courses being lined up to teach pharmacists to prescribe. Uh, I don't know, it's going to go down pretty hard against GPs, and I I think rightly so, let's be fair. I think we're taking on too many hats and, and not enough specific hats and anything we all know when we spread ourselves too thin over many modalities we really don't do any very good Uh, i think we just need to get back to the fact we are an information giving service and just get really good at that uh and perhaps reaching out to the customers more on the floor really listen to them when they're coming in take a look take a look at them have a look at their eyes have a look at how they're holding up you know check if they need to be asked are you okay you know half the time they don't even touch base with the with the customer there's this in-between staff member and they miss a lot of that. And yeah. it's vital, especially with the the diseases that are coming through nowadays, which are, of course, depression, anxiety, stress in general. And we're missing a lot of that. And it's the point in pharmacy that we can perhaps catch that. Uh, I know that's one of the main reasons I stay in pharmacy. I've caught many of those on a Saturday uh, and hugged quite a few customers. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, I certainly reach out and look for those things because um, – it's important that you may be the only person that they've touched that day and you're missing that chance to, to reach out and at least guide them in the right direction, give them some hope yeah. that they're going to be okay and there, there's other ways of healing, if not the traditional way only. And so then that brings me to my next question. Is, is it that sense of that connection that really being able to spend time, quality time yes. with a patient that's brought you towards Definitely. naturopathy and herbalism? Definitely. Uh, that was one of the main reasons when I finally owned my own pharmacy. I thought, this is it. I've arrived. I'm done. I'm going to retire in this kind of job. I'm just going to work right through to I can't anymore. And, you know, it was probably about the fifth, fourth, fifth year into, into my own ownership that I realized that I was making such great contact with my clients. And, I, you know, I see my clients as friends and family is how I, I run my business. So we got to know people very well. And, you'd, you know, you'd have Mrs. Smith, Mr. Jones coming in and, and then they'd say to me, Oh, Alita, you know, what do you recommend for this? And they weren't simple questions. Oh, simple things like, oh, Alita, what do you recommend for healing thyroid? And I think, hang on, I'm on my own. I've got scripts coming out of my ears. There's 10 waiting there. And you're asking a, a mighty big question. So, you know, you say, well, try this, do that, have a look at this, go to that website. And you start to do a bit of that. And in the end, it was becoming very much top surface, a bit like we talked about before, starting to spread myself thin. I wasn't really answering that question. 
I was just stalling, really, I suppose is the word. And it happened all the time. I, I started to see these deep, big questions where people were getting frustrated with their illness. They didn't really want to keep coming to the pharmacy for me to hand out a bucket load of medicine. They they wanted to heal. And and if anything, they were getting more and more medicines, which is very traditional with polypharmacy. And, you know, me on the computer on the other end, I could see their history kind of getting worse. You know, we're going from, for example, thyroid, we're going to cholesterol, we're going to depression, we're going to diabetes. And you're seeing that progression of this autoimmune condition and then, of course, don't forget, we've got stomach uh, acid pump you know, inhibitors coming through and just continual reduction of health coming through, which was frustrating me. So I'd have to go out there and speak to Mr. Jones and Mrs. Smith and say, look, there are some other ways we can do things. Why don't you try you know, something like apple cider vinegar and some vital greens to, to balance your pH levels and to reduce that, that reflux by improving your stomach acid? And we got some results, you know. So it was always a natural tendency to start bringing some holistic medicine in. And it, it, it kind of just tipped into that because I was spending that one-on-one time with someone. Then they'd come back next week and they'd say, Alita, that helped a little bit. What next? And so we started to do this kind of A went to B went to C. And, you know, many clients were healing. And it became more of a scenario that I, I prefer working on that level rather than just being the person that's kind of go, here's your gun, you just pull the trigger. It felt very much that I was the bridge between the doctor, not so much damaging the client, but I, it's the word that comes to me. You know, we weren't, we weren't healing, there's the word. We weren't yeah. healing and we're still not healing, I can tell you now. You know, even since I've qualified as, as, a, as a herbalist in particular, oh, the medicine is just continually flowing and overflowing. In, in relation to PPIs, which is proton pump inhibitors, which is really the most flavour of the month, they finally put them on an authority script and reducing the amount of repeats. So the medicine board understands that they're being pushed out way too fast. So we're starting to hopefully see some pullback in that nature because that was ridiculous. Uh, and one of the main bases for many autoimmunes kicking off when we reduce people's stomach acid so low that they can't absorb minerals. So it was frustrating me handing those yeah. packets out, honestly. Uh, it still is. They're over the counter even. <laughs> so we're, we're restricted to how much we can help people. And, you know, you think that people are willing to accept that information. You may go up to the front counter and say, hey, have you had these before? Yeah, sure. Uh, you do realize you need to keep short term. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, you know, if you're not getting better, go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so before you know it, they're running to the front counter and they're just thinking, I just want to get out of here. I've got my meds. I've got to go to work. So we sadly have a society that's accepting that having an illness or, or an ill state is just something we have to accept. And I'm here to say that's not true. And that's the part that this is the message I try to give out as often as I can when I'm in pharmacy, but certainly in my clinic, we're here to we're here to treat rather than just to band-aid. Yeah. That's always been my scenario. And so you were talking before about pharmacists not yeah. having time to really yes. spend with people. Do you feel that's also the case with doctors as opposed oh, to more absolutely. wellness practitioners? They just simply haven't got the time to spend yes, with people? Yes, I'd have to say yes. And there's cutbacks in pharmacy just as much as there's cutbacks in, in doctors uh, uh, practicing. You know, I, I speak to a lot of doctors and they're – you know, even for many of the GPs, it's, it's a it's a kind of a, a profession that not many people are wanting to go into anymore. The, you know, traditional GPs, perhaps the most demanding profession you can get. You know, the average consult, who who knows how much it is now, but a few years ago, they were, they were quoting seven minutes. Now, it's, it's a pretty quick seven minutes by yeah. the time you sit down and say, hey, doc, <laughs> what's up? And if, he's, if you're lucky, you'll get him looking at you because he's quickly typing on the computer all your symptoms. Ta, 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 ta. Okay, take a BP if you're lucky let alone a physical exam, which is what we were always very used to getting when we went to a doctor. Now it's pretty much, what do you need? Here you go. See you next time. 
It really is that way. Yeah. And uh, I see it when we, we get clients coming through. It is it is what society is demanding of them, though, let's be fair. Sure. It yeah. isn't just the doctors. Kind of, yeah, yeah they, they want everything fast, 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 you know. Yeah. And even visiting a doctor, coming to the pharmacy, even if you say that'll be five minutes, five minutes. <laughs> well, we do actually do a little bit more than stick a label on a tablet, yeah. <laughs> you know. But it's just that, you know, why do you need to even put a label on it? Can I just have my regular meds, you know? Um, everything is fast, but we are we are really paying for that speed that we're living our lives at now. So stress is definitely uh, the the problem that we all are up against. All of us, you know, it doesn't matter how, whether we follow mm-hmm. a natural way of living. We've always got stress. You know, get up in the morning, you've got stress to cope with automatically. But it's the way we handle it, and if we're alert to it, then we can constantly keep balancing it. Be it with food or herbs or supplements, or of course general lifestyle changes. It isn't just one thing. It's the whole package that we have to reduce stress on. Um, and that's the the problem now. I don't think doctors have enough time to go into stress management whilst clients are coming through with seven minutes. It's yeah. just get you through the day attitude, really, I think. Just do yeah. enough. Get them through. Yeah. And, you know, and if they need more, they'll certainly refer them maybe to a psychologist or yeah. a counsellor or a dietitian. But even that I don't see much referring anymore. There was a lot more referring years ago. Okay. Definitely. Definitely. I don't hear them saying that, oh, the doctors referred me to a nutritionist. Or, you know, that I'm going to go see a counsellor. Uh, there is mental health programs available, but I don't see enough of it. I have to actually initiate that for a lot of clients saying, hey, there is this availability to get some mental health assistance. Please chat with your doctor because, um, yeah, you'll get a huge cut in the rebate. So there's that avenues. A lot of them just don't think they can afford to see someone, even for stress management, which is so important to help them get off a lot of their medicines as well. It's not just... Um, Come off your meds. It's yeah. It's heal your life. Well, then you come off your just meds. Come off your yeah, meds. Yeah, exactly yeah, in that order, process, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, is is that the reason that sense of frustration with the system that brought you more towards becoming yeah. a naturopath and herbalist yeah. rather than saying, "Oh, maybe I could be a GP and yeah." And it's funny. I, I craved to be a GP when I was young. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? And I'm, and I'm so glad that circumstances had it that I didn't. I kind of came around the back end, but you know, I'm very much involved in GP, especially in clinic. Um, where we're obviously handling clients with multiple medications, interactions. You need to be very aware of that. But you're able to have actually some real good team play with the doctor. So I'm kind of like the extra bonus time that they would normally get in a doctor's surgery, they're getting it with me. So I can fill in a lot of the gaps then for those clients. So where they've got those extra questions, they can ask me. And, of course, we instigate some questions too where they can chat with their doctor thereafter. So, um, yeah, I think that we are certainly working hand-in-hand with doctors um, I find that naturopaths are more willing to work with doctors, but I'm feeling there's still a lot of resistance for doctors to not work with naturopaths. But I sure. think that's coming back to that stemming that we spoke about to start with. There's a lot of organisations that are taking on GP roles. You know, we, we, we're, we're taking on too many hats, you know. A lot of pharmacists, as I mentioned, you know, immunisation, prescription yeah. writing, antibiotic, you know, handing out, you know, morning after pills. You know, we're doing a lot of handing out of things that previously doctors would take care of. And I think that with uh, naturopathy or natural medicine in general, with the public reaching out and desperate for some extra assistance, they're also hesitant that they'll lose a lot of their clientele to that field as well. So I just think it's all just a little bit of a fear factor coming through of their profession being a little bit unsettling. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. perhaps questioning whether they should be GP. So they've got a – it is a business at the end of the day. They've got overheads they've got to cover. So if they're feeling their clients may not stay clients forever uh, and by all means heal, <laughs> you know, that's not their avenue that they really want. If a client heals, they're not going to be a client anymore. So we have to accept that, that that's actually the bottom line. You know, I remember chuckling uh, as I used to work in Carlton, clients would say to me, oh, my doctor, I've been going to my doctor for 40-something years. And I'd scratch my head and think, well, how's that going for you? And is that really where I would like my clients to keep going to? Do I really want you to be at your doctor for 40 years? You know, isn't it nicer to say, I went to my GP, he really found my out, he put me on the right course, and now I'm managing my own health and it's reduced and I've got a great quality of life and I only go to my GP if I've yeah, fallen down and grazed my leg or, or stood on a nail and I need a tetanus, you know. More of a, a when I need rather than I'm going there every Monday at 9am. That's my slot of time. Yeah. I just think we need to get away from giving away our responsibility totally to someone else. Uh, I read an article a while back when they asked the doctor, you know, in terms of responsibility, how much responsibility should you have and how much responsibility should your patient have in terms of their, their health? And this particular doctor said, I believe I should have probably about 30% responsibility with my patient about 70. But in actual fact, it's the other way around. That customers just expect the doctor to take full responsibility for their health. And whatever the doctor says, they're going to stand by it. If the doctor says, take this in the morning and night, I'm taking it. Regardless of whether it could cause side effects, whether it's something that it's really just treating a symptom, uh, which could actually be a side effect of, of something they're doing in their lifestyle. No. I'll take it because the doctor said so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, we're losing a lot of the responsibility for the patient. And my, my job, particularly as a, as a herbalist, a, a naturopath, is to remind people that they need to take responsibility. I'm just there to, to guide them in the right direction. So I'm going back to that doctor's kind of scenario, 30% me, 70% my clients. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm there to empower them. And getting back to my roots of information giving service, that's how I've been trained and I think I will failing to do that as pharmacists. I really do. Mainly because time is constraints, as we said initially. So in Chinese medicine, there is a saying that um, uh, an average doctor deals with illness. and A good doctor deals with causes. Yes. But a superior doctor, they don't deal with illness or causes at all. Their, their purpose is health and yeah. maintaining health. Yes. Um, yes, um, I'm very symptom oriented when I when clients come in because sure. yeah, they'll often come in with a label. Yeah. I have arthritis, <laughs> I have Crohn's, I have Hajimoto's, I have they list the labels and I say, Well, that's fine, let's just go into it. I love my favorite is I'm going through menopause. I hear that all the time, and half those women are not going through menopause at all. They just have a, a very congested liver, which is traditional Chinese medicine. Once we get that going, you know, mm-hmm. half the blockages, half the hormonal imbalances sort themselves out. So yeah, um, Treating someone should be very much root cause to start with, but very much symptomatic. If you're not treating the symptoms and clogging them all together and giving it a label, you may be giving it the wrong label because many of those symptoms can fall into many categories, you know. Who's to say that the doctor's diagnosis is even correct to start with or even the previous practitioner's diagnosis? So I like to come in with, you know, quite broad kind of eyes and broad vision analyze the patient for what they are, have a good look at them, remember that physical examination, look at what you're seeing in front of you, ask them about their, their history, in particular delve into trauma, which are certainly not covered enough. You know, you know, there's always some form of trauma that sparks off that 
bodily imbalance. And once yeah. you start to see that and you see that those organs are just not communicating correctly, away you go. It's, it's quite a simple thing to heal. It's just we need a bit of time to do it, you know, and that's the difference. I do spend a lot of time in clinic. In actual fact, my initials are, are two hours long for that reason. They're not, okay. they're not yeah. seven minutes, right? Yeah. Well, if you gave the doctor two hours to tell me, it'd be a totally different ballgame. In of fairness course. to the doctor, yeah. right? But who's going to wait, you know, two hours a day to see a doctor? You know, you'd get, what, five clients in the max? So it's just the demand of the community. They, they don't have the time. But, you know, they have the knowledge. They certainly do. It's just yeah. um, they're not able to put into practice the way they want. But I agree with you totally. Uh, going to the root cause is has to be the primary aspect. Once you find that, you, you, you're halfway there. Yeah. And sometimes the root cause could just be a, a failed relationship. It could be a, a traumatized child in an adult body still. You know, it's amazing what that does because we think that we might have had trauma like at the age of two, that's gone. Ugh, it, it just keeps coming back back again and again until you've been woken up by someone like myself to say, hey, you know, that's happened at a certain age, which could affect your kidneys, for example, which can play a lot of havoc in the way you cope with stress. And then they realize that. They can go back to perhaps the two-year-old scenario, have a look, some, have a look at what's going on there, see if there's something that they connect with, if they need counseling by all means. Uh, certain kind of emotional freedom techniques or even uh, hypnotherapy, certainly, tapping. I like to use trauma-releasing exercises. Mm -hmm. So we go through a lot of trauma-releasing exercises to help people recognize that and then that allows them to feel much better today. And then whatever treatment they've got going is going to work twice as much and twice as fast, which is ultimately the speed that everyone wants everything at, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And it's interesting you talk about trauma because – well, there's a lot of stigma attached to the word trauma. Yes. People think, oh, I'm, I'm not tra- I haven't had a trauma. I yes. think I haven't had a car accident or I haven't yes. had, you know, this major abuse or something like that yes. happened. That's what we associate with trauma. I haven't been to war. Yes. So I haven't been traumatized. But we all have traumas that occur, whether yeah. it be childhood traumas, you know, being disempowered as a two-year-old. Yes. You know, when, when you want to do something and an adult pick you up and suddenly you feel powerless. Well, that is, we, we experience that as a trauma. And we carry that through us and we carry that sense of powerlessness through our life. And, and every time we, we encounter a situation, I think, where we have that, we, that trauma is reactivated. Mm, and definitely. we have micro traumas then that occur, yes. you know, on a daily basis almost. Yes, definitely. That we, oftentimes we inflict upon ourselves self-trauma. Yeah. Look, trauma, yeah. you know, when I went through pharmacy college, you know, PTSD is an initial name, post-traumatic stress disorder. It was actually taught to us that that was something that only veterans had when they came back from war. Really, I remember it as that. And it was only until I actually got into clinic and I was doing clinic hours to be a herbalist that I I could see client after client after client when I asked if there was any past experiences that, uh, that that you've experienced in general rather than they believe it's encountering them now because they wouldn't see that. They wouldn't understand that. But just any past experiences that have been traumatic for you, it was every client, you know, something came up. And when you go through the symptoms, and particularly when you know those symptoms and what organs are connected with, you then combine it with the trauma, perhaps the age, uh, and and the symptoms that they've got. It doesn't take much to merge those two and say, "Hey, there's something here. There's definitely something here." And trauma, trauma is so big and powerful to the problems that we get because I still believe that disease is really disease, and course, I'll stand by that. I love yeah. it. It's just. It really what it is. And, you know, if you can find where that client's dis-ease is, well, then you're on the track of healing their disease as they would Mm. know it. Um, But trauma can be anything exactly right. You know, it's not necessarily going to war. It can be 
a child having an asthma attack and fearful of them breathing and remembering that, like you said, that cellular memory. So that breath is, is going to be affected. Those lungs are going to be feeling that. Um, you know, to someone, of course, recently have a financial breakdown, you know, um, relationship breakdown, and even just ongoing stress of their health not being well is, is a trauma. You know, you give someone a disease state and let them sit in that, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, it, it's going to be constantly traumatic for them. You know, they, they're just constantly wearing and feeling that, that trauma suit. And, you know, just to be able to take that off a little bit eases that patient up so much, you know. Most people just think that whatever they get diagnosed with, that's it. That's their parcel. They've got to carry it to the grave. It's, it's anything but true, but so many people do. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, particularly in clinic, it's not just one disease state. It's multiple. And the, the biggest problem I see, of course, is autoimmune, you know, that self-attack. You know, and that's that part like you talked about. Not only have we got trauma coming through, which was quite physical trauma that you can, you know, you could put your hands to it when, when it happened. There's that internal trauma that keeps coming through with that self-attack. You're no good. You can't do it. Why bother? You know, no one ever helped you before. No one, you didn't do it before. You can't do it now. And so you're, you're self-attacking. And that self-attack ends up being autoimmune, uh, which is, again, something I have to bring to people's yeah. attention, where, the, where they're self-attacking themselves. Thyroid's one of my, my babies, is one of my favourites because it's, it's so out there, mainly because people are working so hard. Their liver and kidney really get strained and we all know they play a massive strain on the thyroid. And, you know, the thyroid's all about speaking your truth and having the courage to speak up. And a lot of people have lost a lot of their confidence over these years, a lot of failed ventures that probably they had all their hopes in that have gone down. And people just kind of get complacent with where they're at. So they don't feel that there's hope that they can improve their life. So they just sit there and they just do the same old, same old. Like we said, go to the doctor on the Monday, see them next month, and they just get complacent with this is this is my lot. That's how as good as it's going to get. And you need to like literally pluck them out of that and say, hang on, I need to show that there's something we can do. Even an ounce of something, you'll feel it. And when they can feel some change, even if it's the minute amount of change, that's usually enough to spark mm-hmm. them off into that responsibility again. Okay, okay, maybe I can take... 40% responsibility, and yeah. then 50 and then away we go. And then we, we see miraculous changes in clinic. It's just wonderful to see. And, and that, I think, is one of the problems with diagnosis, even with an accurate diagnosis. When you give somebody a label, say, this is what I you know. have, it's like, oh, well, now that's why I'm like that. Yes. It's not me. It's this. Yes. And it's it's quite disempowering because it takes that responsibility away from the individual. Yeah. And, you know, suddenly they have this thing that's yes. happening to them. Almost like something in a box that they carry around, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I have hypothyroidism. Often you ask people, you know, how are you? Oh, I've got hypothyroidism. You think, I asked how you are. You know, ask what you have. Yeah. <laughs> you ever some people kind of say what they've got in conversation? <laughs> you know, because they, they want to kind of put it out there, feel sorry for me almost, you know, like I have this. This is why I am this. And, it, and it's kind of like don't blame the condition for what you are. The condition's being brought on because of who you are. So you've got to turn it right around. You've got to go to the back end and say, okay, I have this because of something that's dysfunctional in my body. And I teach all my clients that the disease has been created. It really has, you know. We just need to find out how far back it started to be created because it probably dribbled and drabbled for 20 years before it got labelled, shall we say. But for that reason, once you get back to the cause, most of those conditions can regress. Maybe they may not go completely, but you can certainly give that person a much more better quality of life. And then hopefully, more importantly, we stop any more future disease states coming in because that, that's the key, you know, uh, with autoimmune once again. if Once they develop one autoimmune, it's quite common that in their lifetime they'll end up with another three 
Uh, the stats are there They're because you haven't got to the root cause of why they have the autoimmune. So autoimmune tends to have its basis in inflammation and, and inflammation is any state in the body is just where the immune system is very confused. It doesn't know what it's doing anymore. And it's throwing out all this confusion through the kidneys and uh, the body's just not able to react when it needs to react. So it's just saying, oh, well, I suppose that'll do. Let it be. And before you know it, you've got another autoimmune and another autoimmune. So, uh, like I said, we have to get that body, or shall we say all the body's organs, talking and chatting in a nice, happy manner, rather than there's been this internal struggle where those organs are, are very confused and, and you know the messages aren't being heard by those vital partners that have such an important role in in their, the way that they function. So I'm talking about organs, you know. So yeah. you see, I'm going deep. I'm not talking about labels. I'm, I'm going deep. I'm talking about the most common organs, of course, are, are the liver and kidney right mm-hmm. off the beats. And that's why Chinese medicine attracts me so much too. I, I often quote from Chinese medicine. I use a lot of uh, meridian points. I use, um, you know, the, the, the 24-hour clock to look at what kind of organ time frame we're in when we're looking at disease time frames. Uh, but also even chakras, we're using Ayurvedic medicine, so we're going to energy levels. But the organs that we, we commonly reflect on and look at particularly are definitely liver and kidney. Absolutely gut, being the gut detective, you've got to expect something's yeah, got to happen there. But ironically, it's actually probably the the, the least uh, issue to start with in terms of when people come to me. Isn't that funny? I thought, you know, it'd be quite an easy career. You've got a gut complaint, out mm-hmm. we go. It was, yeah. It's actually the last because they come here with so much inflammation. It's gone out of the gut, is what I'm saying. It's, it's much yeah. more deeper. It's already out of the gut. It's jumped out of there very quickly. And it's hitting things like liver and kidney. Yeah. It's hitting the thyroid. It's hitting the brain big time. Uh, and they're, they're the, the main ones that it hits. And then, of course, if we settle down all that inflammation where it's really revving in the gut, it gives us some headway to pause the body where it's at while I go in and, and give those organs the, the little tender loving care that yeah. they need. And, and once they get what they need... And I often tell clients, you know, we've got to talk about organs very differently to what you give in prescription medicine. They need nutrients. They need they need also the proper communication. So we do look at neurotransmitters and are they getting the right vital information back to the, the major messenger that it is being the thyroid? Is that thyroid getting the right clues to whether that liver needs to go fast or slow, whether the kidneys need to go fast or slow, whether the brain's not coping, whether we're living in the primal brain rather than the frontal relaxing brain? You know, if you're not getting that proper messages, what heck has the thyroid got to be able to to settle that down? You know, and, and ironically, we are treating that thyroid as if it's the disease state of, that it is. It's truly just the messenger. So often it's standing out as a big problem in society, but what it really is is that it's actually struggling because of all those other organ dysfunctions, complaining, and I use that word, and it's just saying, well, the liver says I need to go slow. It's, you know, it's got all these excessive inflammation and toxin buildup. The person's not even going to have bowel movements regularly. So I need to go slow, slow everything down. And in comes that wonderful name of hypothyroidism. And the client's wondering why why they're developing this. It's because they're, they're going way too fast for their lifestyle. The yeah. internal organs are saying, slow down, for heaven's sake, slow down. So the body says, slow down, I'll make you slow down. So it, it's just reacting to our environment. You know, fight-flight mode's always been that. We always react to an environment. But we've got fight-flight mode constantly happening. We don't have that reprieve. We're constantly going way too fast for ourselves, and that's why our body's constantly wanting to slow us down. So we are having this slowness in our body, I think. And when we go a bit too slow, we're not clearing the excessive toxins and especially inflammation. 
well, it's a breeding ground for problems. It just is. So, yeah, in, in terms of naturopathy, we're all trained to get that detox pathways open in and out, in and out, and, and keep that, that gut flora really nice and happy so it can distinguish between right and wrong, get that immune system really heightened, active and happy, and, you know, before you know it, half those disease states reduce because the inflammation's gone down. So it's exciting because it at least lets you um, have some permanent healing, which is one of the key words why I, I left pharmacy. We weren't permanently healing. Sure. We just yeah. weren't permanently healing. It's always been very Band-Aid style. And it is what it is. When I go to work on the even- on the weekends, it's just it's just quick fix stuff. I have to change my frame of mind. I, I really see that. When I'm in pharmacy, I have to just think, Interactions, dosing times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. It's. I can't kind of jump in and say, you know, oh, gosh, don't take this, do that. It's very much. I have to remember my task there, my role there as the as the insurer of the compliance from the doctor. It's not my role to judge the doctor who's had more time to diagnose that patient. Yeah. I need to keep things um, uh, at, the, at where they are, and I also know. The old saying, the teacher eyes and the students ready. Some some people don't want to heal. They just want to stay in that place. So you can't push someone to say, hey, try try something different when they're not ready to. They're not ready, yeah. They're not ready to. And that's you have where, to honor where Yeah, are. yeah. Oh, boy, you see that, yeah. don't you? Um, in life, you know, they always say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, you know. You can pull them that way, but if they're not ready to or they're, or they're quite complacent and happy with where they're at, that's fine. It's their body. It's their temple. Mm-hmm. It's how they want to honor it in this lifetime. So... You know, it's when they're struggling and, and uh, in need of help. That's where we put our hands up. We say, come have a chat with us. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. Okay. Fun and games, hey? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting because there's so many um, things coming up. You talk about the, um, the particularly autoimmunes where you're, you're attacking yourself yeah. and, and, you know, where you're attacking yourself consciously and the body yes. reflects that. And, you know, the, the word that keeps coming to me is love. You know, the ultimate Absolutely. medicine is love, and particularly self-love. Yes. And we're taught in our society consistently that you don't love yourself that's narcissistic yeah it's like what a what a dangerous thought and the idea that we cultivate that idea that you're not supposed to love yourself well you know here we go back to a bit of that ayurvedic terminology or even just the chakras in general when we talk about energy and frequency in the body this is something that you know modern medicine doesn't even touch they if you can't see it and feel it it don't exist yeah and whether you know they accept that or not we are mind body spirit you know we only need to to see that in your own life that that's the truth but when you have to bring it to a practice in explaining to people you know you've got energy in your body uh and you know like for example that two-year-old incident you know someone has a trauma at two years of age that, that's happening what we call the base chakra which is a very common age stage of zero to seven. So all, all chakras have seven-year gaps between them as they kind of start from what we call the root base, which is down our spinal area, and it goes right up to our third eye. People are kind of familiar with that, but there's that energy rising up that as we age and mature and go through our life lessons, we're meant to make our way through the chakras. But if a trauma happens particularly, particularly between zero and seven, it really rocks the foundation of that person's coping ability because mm-hmm. that section, for example, is is your safety factor. It's how you feel whether you're protected or not. It, it gives you your life purpose and your direction. Um, and so what happens if people have trauma at that stage? They often end up having leg issues, hip issues, stress issues because the kidneys live in that zone. So the kidneys, bladder, hips, knees, 
ankles, toes, anything in that area, you can pretty much guess that that person's had trauma in that zone. That's why I said it's kind of like the reverse. You get those symptoms coming through, you're looking for the trauma. If you've got the trauma at two years of age, you're looking for the symptoms in those organs. And when you've got that kind of dual understanding, you, you then understand that that, that that energy frequency still lingers in the body. So we talked about that love hurts. The love hurts is actually at 500, really high. People, people don't understand that 500 hertz is a massively high energy vibration and people just don't vibrate like that anymore. So we've got a lot of energy draining products in our life. Mm. I mean, EMFs and radiation and now we're going to 5G. So, you know, we've got a lot of draining energy and, and then you throw on trauma, which drains your energy anymore. You, you can just know if you're in a, an environment of someone that's really angry and you walk away from that person, you can actually feel your energies drop. There's something internally that you feel doesn't feel right. So, you know, anything less than 100 hertz is is a really disease-causing state. And energy, or shall we say emotions that live in that, that energy zone, are things like worry, shame, guilt, hate. You know, they're less than 100. I mean, I think worry is about 20 hertz. You know, you worry all day long. I can tell you now, you're not going to be a healthy bugger, are you? <laughs> you know, it's going to take its toll on you. Whereas if you just think, just a little bit of positive affirmations or just a positive framework, Instead of saying, oh, on Monday morning, I have to go to work. Perhaps just just waking up that morning saying, I get to go to work. How lucky am I that I have a job, that I can move my my arms and my legs and I get to go to work. Instantly that changes your internal frequency, which you won't feel it straight away. But there's something chemically changing your body that will will assist that chemical reaction, which assists that chemical uh, understanding what's going on in the body, especially that neurotransmitted uh, information that's going around the body, will make a huge difference to how those organs take that day on. So your frame of mind has to be looked at. And we're certainly not taught this in school. Isn't it a shame that we're taught, you know, energy levels and, and how we cope with stress and what the stress does and how we need to then balance that stress with those relaxation aspects, you know. That's why meditation is so great. Meditation lifts your energy level, there's no doubt. It lifts yeah. that frequency. So you're going from that yucky 20 hertz at least perhaps to, to 300 in yeah. one go it brings you from yeah. that that limbic Primitive center brain. that amygdala uh, into yes. the peripheral cortex so it yeah. changes your consciousness yes. and where your energy is at in your head i often have people in clinic complain of that back head pain you know it's yeah. wonderful to see that they've got the neck pain but it's not your neck it's really the the lower head you know right on the skull area and they put their hands right in that area, and they say, my head often hurts, you know. And, of course, <laughs> with the thyroid patients, the most common thing is brain fog. You know, they say, oh, yeah. I go into a room, I don't know what I'm going in for, or I can't do multiple things at once, this multitasking ability is gone. Uh, you know, and they're overwhelmed by what they've got to get through the day. That's because their frontal cortex is numbed down. All the energy has gone to the back. And that's where fight-flight mode lives, you know, yeah. the adrenaline, the cortisol, all these factors that get us running and pulsating through the day. But you do that every minute of the day, the frontal cortex just gets numbed down, especially dopamine. Mm-hmm. Dopamine lives there, which is our motivation. So no, yeah, so no wonder yeah. Monday morning we wake up with an earth feeling. You know, you certainly don't feel motivated, but just just lifting your 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 words that you say, just your words can make so much difference. Actually, in fact, when we talk about words and while we're there, I remember Dr. Emoto, E-M-O-T-O. He did a lovely research. Master Emoto. Yeah, have you, have yeah, you studied that? Study. How wonderful yeah. is that? And, you know, we're 70% water, right? Yeah. So you can't help but bring that up when we talk about emotions and how we're going to feel. So if you're if you're 70% water uh, and you're giving out these terrible words like, oh, you stink, why'd you do that for? You idiot, you know, why'd you do that for? I hate 
oh, all these terrible words, or, or I hate my job, I hate this life, I hate everything, hate, 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 hate. You're giving up that word hate. He did, a, he did a study where he basically got, you know, glasses filled with water. He would write on the outside with a texture, for example, the word hate, and then the opposite beautiful word of love. And he'd take a drop of that, put it under a microscope and examine the crystals that would form. And, you know, with the hate, they were just revolting. They were just these masses of um, almost like a cancer cell, you know. It looked really, really revolting and, mm-hmm. and something you certainly didn't want to put on a, on a frame and put on a wall. It's chaotic. Yeah, it's yeah. revolting. And then you, the ironic thing, he took the same kind of water just with a different word only, put it under the microscope, and it created these beautiful crystals. Almost like I said, you could you could take a copy of them, put them on a, on a frame and have them as beautiful artwork. Amazing crystallizations. Uh and just by the word alone, so what he was saying is that that body, body certainly reacts to a word. Isn't that crazy? So you need to be very careful of the words that we speak all day long. I'm not saying we have to go walk around and do affirmations, you know, because it doesn't feel a bit weird to start with, but just catch the words that you use. Be mindful. When you hear yourself saying, I hate my job, say just delete, delete, delete. Um, I'm lucky I have a job and I get to go to work and today's going to be a great day. I choose to make it so. Flip it right around, even if you don't believe it. Trust me, say it for a couple of days. You won't need to say it again because you'll actually feel that it's great to yeah. go to work. So initially it'll feel weird because you've never said it and you're just so in autopilot, but start saying it and you'd be so surprised how a lot of your illness in the body can start to to reprieve and just reduce. Because we, we do it to ourselves. Again, like that's that auto attack. I can't say it enough, you know. Mm. Um, it's the words we use are horrendous. Like, I have clients... Particularly thyroid patients, they're so hard on themselves. So I have to whip them. I have to whip them, I say. I'm whipping yeah. you now. Yeah. No, no, stop there and there. What did you say about yourself? Don't you dare say that about yourself, you know? Um, I love um, Andrew Beeman, one of the, one of my idols that I follow for thyroid. And, you know, she she suffered with thyroid conditions. She went from hypo to hyper with goiters and nodules. And she was someone that just mentioned that to me a long time ago and said, it's an autoimmune disease. It means you are attacking yourself. So where in your body and where in your life are you attacking yourself? So not just your body, but your life, because you're a reflection of everything that's happening around you. You know, you people don't realize, but the energy you give out comes back to you multiplied. So if you're having that autoimmune factor and you've got this negative aspect, what are you giving out and where are you giving that out to? So she was she really brought it to my attention that I need to be mindful of what I'm saying to myself and why am I attacking myself? Is there something in me that believes me to be unworthy, not good enough. And that comes back to, again, trauma, you know, yeah. coming right back to that. Self-trauma. Self-trauma. Yeah. Perpetuating uh, the trauma. Yeah, here we yeah. go. So it's it's not the trauma sitting with you. It's left a long time ago, but the emotional link is there. Mm-hmm. And it's that self-talk, that little lovely ego mind going crazy, which we can do without, but it's there to, to test us and to constantly question us and make us feel uh, – Less off than what we need to feel, which is a very sad thing. But once you once you hear that ego mind going off and that that narcissist kind of words coming in your mind, you think, where's that coming from? Question it. Why do I feel unworthy? Why why do I not accept wealth into my life? Why can't I accept a partner into my life? Why is this job lousy? Why am I not getting the pay that I deserve or the happiness that I deserve? You know, maybe you need to go back and start to think. You know, where else in my life have I shown these patterns? And I bet you there will be patterns. There will be definitely patterns, you know. Yeah, a classic, someone goes through a divorce. They, they think, oh, thank good, I'm, I'm done with that person. They then get into another relationship and lo and behold, the whole situation happens again. We all know that. We see that mm-hmm. because the problem hasn't been solved. The, the, um, 
the emotional clearing hasn't been handled. So it's important to have that time to yourself to, to go through what's wrong in your life personally and then get that counselling on a separate basis and then you can bring that to a relationship standing whole rather than you throwing your your trauma to someone else and expecting them to react to you all the time. Because we do that, you know, in, particularly in relationships, particularly in spouses or even parents with their children or even colleagues at work, we'll throw our energy onto other people and it can be quite damaging to them. It's so important to be able to stand in your own space, in your own aura, complete, like you said, ideally vibrating, yes, at 500 hertz and above if we can, you know, and that is awesome. That is awesome. That's when you see an environment that's worth worth coming to work for every day, isn't it? Absolutely. So change change yourself. And I find whenever you make those kind of small changes when it comes to energy, the coincidences happen, don't they? Everyone <laughs> talks about, and then they've got a job and, and someone said, you know, I saw your years back and I've got a great position for you. And then you get plucked out of that nasty job and you get to an environment that's perfectly resonates all that you're about because you don't we see the that relationship yeah orders. yeah and that yeah the universe ban- yeah. balances what yeah. you're giving out because you know energy flows to where energy is, is equivalent to yeah. so you be careful what you give out so if you do get angry behind the wheel of a car and someone's coming in front of you of course it's a natural response but look at that and think i don't really know what's going on in that person's life that's the things i think about i don't don't really know you know he could have had a lousy night's sleep because the little one wasn't uh, was up all night he could be really late for work. He's the only bread soul winner. He really has to get to work because he's been late three times this week. And if he doesn't get there, he may lose his job. That's an example. You know, I'm sure. not saying that may be correct. I'm not saying I'm giving everyone onus to jump That's in front of you. Picture. But we just don't know. Because I see people in pharmacy. I Trust me, I see them. They look perfect from the outside. And then I hand out their medicine. I hand out psychotic drugs. I hand out, you know, drugs for cancer. And yet visually... They look like they the, they've got it all together, and you look at those medicines and think this person's got a lot of a lot of um, burdens. So you know you put them behind a wheel while they're still thinking about what the doctor told them a few minutes ago. You don't think you're going to kind of show that on the, on the road. So that's an example. We need to be a bit more patient, not just on the roads, but in queues when salespeople are serving us. You know, just remember people have bad days. And hopefully if you've got that attitude, when you're having a bad day, the universe will, will conspire to give some room for you that um, you can have that bad day without, you know, too many people coming down on you. So it's important, like you said, yeah, energy is vital to healing and vital to being taught. And it's certainly not getting taught enough. And I, I As a practitioner, I never thought I would, <laughs> when I was leaving pharmacy, that I would go into a clinic that I'd be talking energy, chakras, meridians, uh, you know, acupunctural points. It's quite funny, but it's just how it's progressed because yeah. um, that's the true healing. I've had to see that. That's where you're drawn. Yeah, and I've, I've gone that with my own health and it's, you know, dare I say I'm the guinea pig, but being a guinea pig is the perfect way to experiment with things so that when my clients have not gotten experimentation, they've actually got a scientific you know, conclusion rather than hypotheses only. So they're getting the results because I've been there a step ahead of them. So it's wonderful to have disease days because you can you actually learn from them. So, you know, we've, we've all had our burdens. Yeah, I've had my conditions and I've mm-hmm. certainly seen that. And, um, and trauma, my share of trauma too. So it's been wonderful to be able to constantly, as I get older and older, cut off more and more layers of that trauma. And that's what it's about. It's not a quick fix, which um, sadly Western medicine really wants quick fixes. And in the clients that come to me want quick fixes. Actual fact, um, I often write poetry, and one of my one of my famous poems that a lot of my clients certainly know about is it's called my magic wand, because I have to often remind them I don't have a magic wand. It's going to take time to undo 
what you've done for the next, to the last, say, 15, 20 years, you know. They don't realise that what they've got as they sit in front of me didn't happen overnight. It's been coming. Yeah. So there's no magic wand treatment. But there's something about Western medicine and natural medicine that there's this distinctive factor from the difference of a client. When they come into a pharmacy or Dr. Snow, they're happy to go there month after month, month after month. And for years, as I've mentioned, many years, but when they come to a natural medicine treatment, they expect to feel better with one, one session, literally. I find I do my initials and many a time some people, you know, when they come back for a follow-up, they expect to feel fantastic. They've moved. They've definitely moved in the right direction, but not fully healed yet. And, I mean, like I said to you, there's those internal organs. They don't, they don't go at the pace that the client feels. They go at nature's pace and every client has their own pace. So someone may take a year to heal. Someone may take two months to heal. I don't know. My job is to watch the healing by monitoring the symptoms and then say, okay, we've gone from there to there. Now we'll move you to a next stage. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take? We'll see. And then we keep just constantly moving them. That's why there's no one one client that's the same. I don't run protocols for that reason. Um, I've come to see it. There's, it's impossible to run protocols like weight loss protocols or, or um, you know, thyroid protocols because even though I have thyroid patients, as I mentioned, that label doesn't mean that they've all got, all got the same symptoms. And that they've all got the same traumatic mm-hmm. episodes and that they're all at the same age going through that. You can't run protocols. There's no there's no one size fits all in natural medicine. I do notice a lot of naturopaths do go that way and they find it works, that's fine, but um they have to be short protocols, maybe like just a month worth. So I certainly wouldn't be running any long protocols. Um, because many will do well, but many won't do well because um they've just got so many other factors that are affecting how well they're going to go on a protocol so everyone knows they're basically individualized that's why those initial consults take so long because i need to very much design an individualized program which is you can't just pick up the shelf and and choose an item like they do in pharmacy oh there there you go we've got diabetes so we'll choose a few anti-diabetic medicines and that and we'll send them off it's not just diabetes we're treating you know we're treating the kidneys where the blood sugar imbalances are coming from. We're treating the gallbladder and the liver because they can't hear the insulin anymore. So we've got to go in there and design a therapy. And, of course, the most important is food as medicine because um, we haven't touched on that enough really because that's my first go-to. Yeah, you know, I learned that a long time ago. Food first, herbs second, supplements third. You know, that's that's the, the rigmarole. I think that's Chinese medicine that quotes it that way. You know, I remember reading it somewhere under a TCM magazine. and uh, Let your food be your medicine. It is, yeah. Well, this is what we're trained to be, right? Um, And, you know, and all disease begins in the gut. Well, that's where the food gets processed, right? So, see, also the interpretation of the food doesn't even look like food. Let's go down that road, you know. Is this food even looking like food? So, um, yeah, there's a lot lot to distinguish. So sometimes, obviously, we have to, we we do sometimes have to limit the foods and, and talk about food intolerances, which comes through, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking immuno uh, problems as well. Well, I think that'll have to be a talk for another day um, because we could talk for hours yes. and hours and end about this. This is uh, definitely this has been a great chat. Um, thank you Thanks, so much uh, for this. I've really enjoyed it. Likewise. Um, as I say, I think we'll have to sit down another day. And, yeah, and different topic. Diet, More specific, hey? Food. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a good starting point. Thank you. And, uh, it's, been it's been a pleasure. Been yeah, thank you so have much. Have a great Alida. day. You too. So, that was Alida, the good detective. Now, I hope you found that interview as fascinating as I did. And perhaps once Alida's book is published, we'll have her back on the show to talk about it. If you want to get in touch with Alida, you can find her at gutdetective.com.au. So, that's G-U-T-D-E-T-E-C-T. 
tive.com.au. You can also find her at facebook.com forward slash the gut detective. And her telephone number is uh, an Australian 1800 number. It's 1-800-96-2020. Alida is based at the Good Detective Clinic in Nidri in what I consider inner northwest Melbourne. If you want to get in touch with me, you can get me at solacewellbeing.com.au. Uh, new website is now live. Um, Facebook.com forward slash solacewellbeing. The podcast page is facebook.com forward slash more than wellness podcast. As always, please like, share and follow us on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you use to access your podcast. And I would love to get your feedback and your comments about the show or about any particular episodes grateful again that you've taken the time to listen thank you we'll see you next time take care <music>